You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Well, it has been a minute, but we are back. That is right. Seattle Sports Saturday here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Feels good to be talking to you here on this Saturday morning. Feels good to be talking to my guy Taylor Jacobs Saturday morning here. Taylor, it's been quite a uh, quite a last few months for us. Yeah, it's been a little too long in my opinion, and I'm hoping <laughs> a few other opinions out there, but we're back. You know what I mean? This is it. We get to talk we get to talk some Seahawks. We get to talk some some of the things we miss. Some college, Pac-12, right around the corner, right? So a, a lot of sports happening in the world as we start to ramp back up. So I'm happy to be here with you, Curtis. Oh, glad to be here with you, Taylor. And I mean, not just the Seahawks, but also in the NFL, that, that sound you're hearing, a collective exhale from, I think, 12s all around because Antonio Brown not coming to Seattle. He's going to Tampa Bay. Yeah, dodge that bullet. Small golf clap. Yeah. Golf clap. Glad, glad to not have him in Seattle. But we'll get into that conversation a little bit later in the hour because uh, there's a lot of layers to it. The Seahawks, do they need more help offensively, even though they will not have Antonio Brown on the roster? We'll get into that coming up here later on in the hour. Uh, and then, I mean, obviously, the task at hand. Sunday Night Football, Arizona Cardinals down in the desert, a place where just some unexplainable things have happened. Some good, some not so good, some really bad. Uh, we'll get into just the craziness that is playing the Arizona Cardinals down in the desert. That's coming up also in this hour. But we are with you for the next two hours, taking you up to noon, taking you up to the golf show, the world-famous golf show uh, with Jim Moore and Sean Crew. Uh, you don't want to miss that. That's coming up at noon today. A uh, full slate of, of broadcasting here on Saturday here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Sort of a, a relaunch uh, of what was going on prior to COVID, but uh, we've got us here from 10 to noon. You just heard John Clayton from 8 to 10. You had the outdoor line earlier today. Uh, later on, you've got the golf show. You've got Cougar football Saturday from 1 to 3, and then you will hear a rebroadcast of the huddle and also of Hawks Live later tonight. So if you are near a radio today, make sure you've got it to 710 ESP in Seattle. Or, Curtis, if you're near a phone, download the 710 app. There Take it us is. with you wherever you are. Even if you're up, you know, at Samuel Resort, having a nice weekend with your wife, you can you can plug right into that 710 app and hear this great content. Are you giving people hints as to your current whereabouts right now? No, no, I would never do that. That would be uh, irresponsible of me because then they could come <laughs> find me and ask for ask me questions in person. I don't like that. Ugh. Yeah, no, but uh, yeah. If you can't tell, we're we're both in different spots. I'm at home. Taylor is on the road, but it's good to be talking to you here on this Saturday. So I think we should waste no more time. Get into yep. one of the staples of Seattle Sports Saturday, and that is the big three. Number one. Well, we can talk some Seahawks football on Saturdays. We're back. Seahawks Cardinals getting flexed into that primetime spot. Sunday night football tomorrow. An NFC West showdown. The Seahawks coming off that in, you know, important bye week, hoping to get healthy. 
not as healthy as some would would like. You know, Snacks Harrison and um, the Prez, Jamal Adams, will not be playing in this game on Sunday. But you will see some familiar faces. Jordan Brooks and Carlos Hyde look like they'll be a full go and able to play on Sunday. But some other injury news, Dwayne Brown, Mike Yapati, Quentin Dunbar, all questionable on the Seahawks side. But don't fear Seahawks fans. There are some questionables on the other side that might ease some of the tension heading into Sunday night. DeAndre Hopkins tweaking that ankle again. We've seen him have some ankle issues in the past, and now they're starting to pop up again. Will they sit him? This is a crucial game for them as well to keep pace with the Seahawks. But how crucial is it worth risking DeAndre Hopkins for the next few weeks? All things we'll be keeping an eye on this weekend, but excited to have that Seahawk football back. Excited to have it back in prime time. Curtis and I, throughout the next two hours, are going to break down some of the key matchups, some of the key players, and what we'll be looking for tomorrow as the Seahawks kick off at 520 pregame, getting underway at 2 p.m. Number two. Is this the best it's ever felt to lose to Tom Brady? Got to be honest, yes. it's up there. Was it worth it for the Seahawks to put themselves out there as much as they did while pursuing Antonio Brown? Remains to be seen. Earlier in the week, it looked like the Seahawks were going to have major interest in Brown, but they weren't alone. No one knew who the other teams were going to be, but that became very well known on Friday as reports surfaced that Brown was on his way to visit the Buccaneers, and that turned out to be where he's going to end up as the Bucks and Brown agreed to a one-year deal. Brown leveraging Seattle's interest to get a contract from Tampa Bay. Brown then reunites with Tom Brady, who they've played exactly one game together as teammates. Brown scored a touchdown in that game uh, for New England last year in Week 1. As for the Seahawks, is losing out on Brown the best thing for them? Do they need more help offensively? They've got the best offense in football through the season's first five games, but could they stand to use some more help getting the ball in the end zone? We will answer that question coming up today at 1030. Number three. Well, the practice squad getting some familiar faces. We already mentioned Snacks Harrison. He's going to be on that practice squad at least one more week as he tries to ramp back up to football speed. But Michael Kendricks, linebacker, and the Seahawks reuniting this past week in a similar fashion to the Snacks Harrison contract. A practice squad deal with the ability to elevate up to that next level. Uh, Kendricks, you know, spent both of his past seasons with the Seahawks, finishing both on the injury list, if you will. Um, and his sentencing for uh, has been pushed back until at least January of 2021. Another pushback there. So something to keep an eye on. But for, for Kendricks, he might be able to get the entire season in and play um, if he's elevated from that practice squad. And one other notable name promoted from the practice squad, Demarius Randall. He's going to take the spot for Lano Hill, who was placed on IR this past week. So some familiar faces coming up, some familiar faces going down. And uh, for the Seahawks, really being able to take advantage of that practice squad in COVID times is tr- looks like it's going to become one of their advantages, right? And that to get Snacks Harrison and to have him stay on the practice squad, numerous teams reached out to him to try and sign him. So great to see that. Uh, he's staying here. He wanted to be here. And uh, we're going to see some other familiar faces in in the next little bit. 
in the next little bit. That is this hour's big three. Some honorable mentions. Uh, college football here in the Northwest starting up in a couple of weeks. November 7th will be the first Saturday. We still have no idea who's going to be UW's starting quarterback. Uh, still a big competition. We saw a couple other former UW quarterbacks this week in the news. Jake Hayner, uh, as many Huskies will remember, he's now the starter at Fresno State. And then Colson Yankoff, who was also part of that quarterback battle last year, he's now moved to wide receiver at UCLA, so he will not be oh. uh, a quarterback any further. Yeah, so uh, some former Husky quarterbacks, I guess, in the news, but the current ones still remains to be seen who is going to be under center for them come week one. Uh, Mariners in the news a little bit this week. Awards finalists mm-hmm. were announced for the Gold Glove. Uh, Evan White at first base, much-deserved finalist there. He is so smooth <laughs> with the glove. And then yes. shortstop, J.P. Crawford. I mean... That dude Love puts it. highlights up there all the time. Web gems all the way around from those two guys. Hopefully one of those guys and, comes away with a gold glove. Yeah, and not only that, Curtis, th- this is the young core, right? This is what you yes. wanted to see in the rebuild year. These guys take a step to show promise, to show that they have, quote-unquote, it, right? And Evan White, J.P. Crawford, truly at the head of the clash. And... Who, who knows what they're going to do next year when they have another opportunity to take that step forward? Yeah, well, I mean, we could get into this for a whole hour if you want, but uh, yeah. we'll we'll save it for another day. But looking at the AL West right now, the Mariners may be the most upward trajectory of any team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also some smaller news items, but uh, ones that could have a, a big ripple effect. Uh, late last night, John Gonzano of the Oregonian reporting the West Coast Conference, so Gonzaga, their conference, could play their basketball season in a bubble in Las Vegas where they would go to Vegas for a couple of weeks, play some games, come back, uh, quarantine for a little bit, and then go back to Las Vegas, play some more games that way. So that'd be an interesting way to see the college basketball season get played out. And then, Taylor, I know you're a fan of what Nick Rolovich had to say this week on Twitter about the Huskies. Oh, yeah. Taking some serious shots. Look, we we <laughs> haven't had any action. He hasn't had any practice time with these guys, but he's already fitting right into the uh, the Coug culture out there in Pullman. And, uh, yeah, already tar- starting this smack talk with uh, – the Montlake crew and Jimmy Lake over there. And look, I'm ready. I'm ready for this next chapter of UW Wazoo. The last one was a pretty painful one for all Coug fans. We, uh, <laughs> we don't miss the, the last coaching regime, and we hope that this new one will hopefully get us going in the right direction. So that is uh, what's going on in local uh, Big Three there. Coming up in this hour, we mentioned we will talk Antonio Brown and, and how he ended up in Tampa Bay and whether it was worth it or not for the Seahawks to be out there so much. But as we mentioned right off the top, we have not been with you guys since March. It's been a long time. So what did we miss? It's been a lot, and we're going to try our best to get caught up on that. That's coming up next here, Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. If you want to join in on the conversation, the Busy Heart Seltzer text line is there for you. 710-710, that's the number to text. We love hearing from you. Uh, thank you so much for all the uh, the messages sent in already because uh, it's good to be back. It's great to be back here talking to you. Uh, it's been, what, six months, seven months since our last Seattle Sports Saturday, Taylor? It. it so much has changed yeah. in our world, in the sports world, just personally with both of us. I mean, it is yeah. it is a such a different time in everybody's life. But 
Uh, just looking back at, at what we missed in those seven months, uh, obviously most of that was spent without sports, which was a, you know, that's a gut punch to especially us who, who watch sports so closely. But, but once they came back, they came back in a flurry. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, just the Mariners and their trajectory and whatnot and missing that entire season, not being able to talk about it in this capacity. Uh, you know, there was a lot to get to in it. And we mentioned that the Mariners may have the most upward trajectory, but, you know, that's one thing to say, but, like, where's the proof in that? You look at the Rangers and Angels, they're garbage. The Astros, they're going to be losing a lot of free agents here uh, over the next, you know, couple of seasons. The A's are about to lose Billy Bean. Uh, the Mariners, all of a sudden now, they've got some prospects on the way. And from what we saw here in 2020, yeah, it was 60 games, but there was a, there was some good, good improvements along the way. Yeah, and Kyle Lewis, absolutely amazing shortened season, right? And I think we can start with him. He was the, the biggest bright spot for everyone here in Seattle and just watching what he can do and his abilities. And then you're right, Evan White, J.P. Crawford, and, and even so, um, Justin Dunn showed some great promise yeah. at some points here in the season as well, right? So to me, you're, you you start looking again, like I mentioned, at all these pieces, right? All these things we put together before – you know that they're going to be making these runs and signing some of these pieces to, to fill in with this young core of players. And they came up together, right? They have this rapport that all these players love playing with each other and playing for each other. And yes, they missed the playoffs this year. And yes, they, they had a shot even at the end. They were, they were only a few games out of it, but the, the promise to me, this is one of the, the best feelings I've had leaving a Mariner season. And I, I don't know how yeah. long. It's it's been, boy, I would say since maybe the mid to late '90s, where there's been this much hope in terms of what the future holds with this team. Uh, yeah, it's been a breath of fresh air. Even though there were some losses along the way this season, but uh, to kind of see the the painting be you know almost complete here, uh, that's encouraging. Also, you we get missed... twenty twelve. Oh, sorry, Curtis. I was just going to say you oh. just get those twenty twelve Seahawks vibes, right? Just like yeah. they lost, but you know that it's there and the pieces are mm -hmm. there, and if you can just put it together. The next few years are going to be something special, and I feel like we have that here. Maybe not as, as high of a level of quality, but we're getting there as an organization and as a city. We get to, we're going to get to see some special baseball here soon. Yeah, and uh, one another special thing for this city, that was the fourth Storm Championship. We missed yes. out on that. Uh, but, I mean, what – what what left is there to say about Sue Bird's greatness? What left is there to say about Brianna Stewart and just the start of her career? Uh, I mean, the craziest things that I saw uh, in the aftermath of the Storm Championship were just how much winning that Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart have done in their career. I think Brianna Stewart has been playing out post high school. She has played, I want to say, eight seasons. So four UConn, four in the WNBA. She has finished as a champion in six of those eight seasons. Uh, and then Unreal. Sue Bird just holds every record there is in the WNBA record books, every Storm franchise record. Build a statue already. Like, let's, yes, let's, let's get, get, it get over the with. statue. Yeah, yes, I can't wait. Put it up. She's, she's such an ambassador to the city, to the sport, to women athletes. 
all around the world. She's such a inspiration to everyone. And if you can't see that in Sue Bird and what she's accomplished, I mean, look at her career compared to LeBron James, right? They have those infographics up all the time, the 17 years in the league, the four titles, like all of these things just keep matching up. And I, I wouldn't be opposed to calling Sue Bird the LeBron James of the WNBA. She might not be as physically dominant, but her play is dominant. Oh, yeah, and the resume speaks for itself. Uh, Four titles, 17 years, all-time leader in assists. Uh, She even set the single-game assist record uh, for the finals at age 39 with 16 in the game. I mean, just absolutely outstanding work from her and from the Storm. And uh, I think it's safe to say they are the best – I mean, you – I think it's safe to say they're the best-ran sports organization in town. I mean, four titles. Uh, I mean, they're consistently in the playoffs, uh, consistently, uh, you know, atop the Western Conference. Just a tremendous, tremendous season from them. And then, you know, the NBA Finals and just how crazy, how crazy we thought it was going to be. Like, how can you pull off an entire playoffs in a bubble atmosphere? You're really going to be able – to keep COVID at bay and, and to mm-hmm. to get a whole playoffs in all four rounds with 22 teams. Same goes for the NHL. And both of those leagues amazingly were able to pull it off without a hitch and really, really had some quality, quality games going on. Uh, I mean, shout out to both those leagues and, and, Taylor, we're, we're that much closer to the NHL being here in Seattle. We're just a season I, you- away. Yep, you put it out there. Or if you're doing my math, if you remember correctly, it's next season. We're joining it next yeah, season. But no, it's true. Um, <laughs> it was truly great to because st- now if you're if you're on that season ticket list or you're interested in the Kraken, this is the time, right? You can start to learn some of these players, the young people coming up. You get to see some of the stars in the league and, and where they are and. And after this season, it's on us, right? We're in it. We're oh, in the thick of it. And we're back. Um, it's been, what, 100-plus years since the Metropolitan uh, won the Stanley Cup? 103 yep. years. So and I remember it just like yesterday. Who, who doesn't, right? And also, <laughs> the uh, you have the, the Spanish flu going around. Hey, yeah, boy. Seasons, so. That's not good. Eerily but, similar. Yeah. But, uh yeah, I'm I'm really excited that we got to watch this come together and you got to see the bubble work effectively for both leagues, two different locations, three leagues, WNBA, let's put them in there as well, right? Yeah, the WNBA exactly. doing a great job in the bubble as well. So uh, I was so thankful to get to watch some of those games. Um, I think it's ironic that it was the Lakers winning the finals in the NBA, the Lightning winning the Stanley Cup, and lo and behold, the World Series is between Los Angeles and Tampa Bay. Funny how that works. Funny how that works. Uh, and then, I mean, the Seahawks are not 5-0. and They have had an, an offense that I think so many of us have wanted to see from Russell Wilson and have wanted to see from Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer over the last couple of years. We're finally seeing that. And it may be born out of necessity based off of how their defense has played, but... 
it has been very effective. And even if their defense was playing better, I still believe this is the kind of offense they would have installed for this season just because of how, how good it's looked and how good they – and the weapons that they have. They have – I think this is the most weapons I've ever seen a Seahawks team have, and that's including the 2013 Seahawks where their wide receivers had Curse and, and Tate and Baldwin and Harvin and Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. I mean, I would put this group up there – with with that group i tend to agree curtis yeah you look and one of the reasons why russell's been so successful is the fact that they can run the ball the threat the ideal that this team can run at you at any moment chris carson can hit those the 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 holes and truly punish a team that and then you look at dk metcalf uh, the start that he's had in his career and how it measures up with Calvin Johnson legitimately with Calvin Johnson and Tyler Lockett at any moment being able to go off and you know he's one of those receivers who doesn't need to demand the ball like other star receivers but he does so well like a star receiver and then the tight ends we were talking about this before the show Curtis the tight ends really haven't been a major factor yet no we haven't seen Disley be that factor Greg Olson be that factor but it's nice to know they're there and you can use them. And if DK gets doubled in that in that red zone going forward, you have a couple options. You trust in Disley and Olsen that can truly get you the ball. And Or in crucial third downs, they are res- solid receivers. So, Curtis, I agree. I think this might be offensively just as talented as any of the Seahawks teams of late. Now, if this team is the most talented we have seen, at least, under P- or at least offensively under Pete Carroll and John Schneider, then why were they flirting so much with Antonio Brown this past week? Did did losing out on him, was that the best thing for this Seahawks team going forward? We're going to answer that question next right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in 15 minutes. Just weird things going on down in Arizona. Down in that Glendale Stadium there that the Cardinals call home. We'll try to make sense of it all. That's 15 minutes from now. But one thing that was tough to make sense of this week was the Seahawks' open flirtation with Antonio Brown that did not land them. AB, he's now on his way to Tampa Bay. He's with the Bucks, A team that may have too many weapons that would have been sort of a, a question or a problem that the Seahawks may have faced had Brown signed with the Seahawks. Uh, but just football-wise, Taylor, I never really understood the, the the reason to bring Antonio Brown to Seattle, especially with how good the Seahawks wide receiver group is, and, and also the help that is on the way already with Philip Dorsett potentially set to return here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Josh Gordon, you don't know what his reinstatement case is like right now at the NFL, but there's the possibility he returns this season. When you look at this move, Taylor, what did you think the Seahawks need help on offense at all? Or is this a, a team that uh, it, their biggest concerns right now are on the defensive side of the ball? I still think the the biggest concerns are the defensive side, right? And that's where you're going to see a majority of the effort, in my opinion, you should see the majority of effort put into signing people to be depth pieces there, right? We've already seen the depth challenged a little bit. You've seen a few injuries, especially on that D-line, right? Can they rotate people in to get Reed, you know, some much-needed rest in the game? But 
this it felt like it went from kicking the tires, which I appreciate the Seahawks doing and doing their due diligence to find out the fit for all these things. And look, Russell, I'm sure, had something to say. He worked out with AB in the offseason. They have a relationship as well. But to me, if you think about it, it's just all about the pie, right? Whatever your favorite pie is, apple pie, cherry pie, coconut cream pie, the pie is being eaten by a lot of people right now. And to add another hungry mouth to eat on that pie, you got to take away, right? You got to take away from DK. You got to take away Tyler. You probably got to take a few carries away from Carson and and the whole running back group. So to me, why would you take those pieces away from those players when they're happy eating right now, right? Why are we going to change it up? Everyone's got their pieces. They're eating. They're smiling. We're rolling. Let's keep it going. And if you add someone like AB who has, when receiving 16 to 18 targets, has literally lost his mind about his lack of targeting. So to come here, and I'm, I know he thinks he's still one of the top in the, in the league, one of the most elite receivers ever. He's going to want that. He's going to demand that. And to me, I don't want anything like that. Yeah, and I mean, that's just putting everything that he is off the field aside, what he is on the field is somebody that has not been a team player that has not, you know, really carried his, his water over the last couple of years. Uh, There was a caller, I think on Tom, Jake and Stacy this week that brought up, you know, let's not forget what he was like in Oakland where he didn't want to practice because of his helmet. And then he finally gets the helmet corrected. Then he goes to that cryogenic, you know, therapy thing, doesn't wear the proper footwear, gets burns on his feet. Uh, And then he gets into a fight with Mike Mayock, the GM of the Raiders organization. This is all within about a two- or three-month stretch after forcing his way out of Pittsburgh in the same calendar year where he didn't practice the week of uh, a very important game that they were trying to make the playoffs in. Uh, And then, you know, the Steelers, they're – probably a top two or three organization in terms of stability. And they were saying, we don't need you. The heck with you. We're moving you to Oakland. Oakland says, we don't need you. The heck with you. He goes to New England. And then all of a sudden, you get you get all those allegations surfacing against him. You get the lawsuit, uh, the sexual assault lawsuits filed against him, uh, the delivery driver incident. And the Patriots are like, look, I mean, thanks for your one touchdown, but we don't need you either. Uh, to me, I mean – just for Pete Carroll and, and, and Russell Wilson and John Schneider to kind of put their neck out there like that, uh, it was, I got to be honest, it was unfortunate to see because, I mean, yeah, he is, he has paid, I think, part of his, of his punishment to the NFL, but there's still that lingering lawsuit out there that the NFL could still rule against and suspend him even further. So it's not like his, his, his due has been fully paid yet. And, for the Seahawks to, you know, say like, uh, you know, his talent kind of outweighs everything else. It's unfortunate to see. And and I'm not advocating for Antonio Brown to be permanently removed from the NFL forever. I'm just saying, I don't want him to be a Seahawk. And thankfully, at least for now, we don't have to worry about him being a Seahawk because he's on his way to Tampa Bay. Yeah. And to me, like you said, the why nots are greatly outweighing the whys. And why, why would you bring this guy in right now specifically? 
you know, what does he look like health wise, fit wise? He's had so much time away from the game. Like what, what could a B truly be? And we know how good he was. Is he still there? Look, NFL, not for long. People's careers disappear in the time Antonio Brown has been away from the NFL and not actively playing. But one thing to look at, and one thing I've been noticing is you look at the Steelers, top of the AFC, one of the best teams. You got Claypool, one of the young, sort of up and coming stars right now in the league. You look at the Raiders, big win over the Chiefs. Josh Jacobs looks like he's going to be a star in this league, and they were right. The Steelers are right. They were all right about Antonio Brown. So to me, you have three organizations all right about letting him go. What's right about bringing him in here? And to me, there wasn't a good enough reason to, to make that happen. And that the point you bring up about those three organizations, I think one thing they really share in common is that they have a very steadying presence at head coach with all three of them, yes. uh, Belichick, Tomlin, and Gruden, three guys that have all won a Super Bowl, three guys that have seen everything there is to see in the NFL. And maybe there has been a change in Antonio Brown's demeanor over the last year. Because uh, I remember we were on the air when he got cut from the Raiders. This It was a Saturday morning. I remember it vividly. And just the the questions that came from that, uh, we're a year later still asking ourselves the same questions because we don't know yet if he has made those steps in his personal life and in his in his professional life as well uh, to become a better NFL citizen. And uh, just kind of looking at the hypotheticals here, at least the questions that I have uh, stemming from this. If the Seahawks did add Antonio Brown, do you think that would have made them any better than what they are now? I don't know. I, I, to be honest, I probably don't think so. I, I don't think it was. I think it would have been a disruption. I think we talked about the pie, right? I think people would have been upset about their shares of the pie. And how much be- what's Russell going to throw? Six touchdowns? 500 yards? Like, what? at some point, enough is enough. They're winning the games. They got enough. Don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. AB is broken. I don't want to be the one to fix him. Tampa Bay. By all means, take him, see what you can do. And I'm even worried how that's going to go in Tampa Bay because you have Godwin and Evans, two legit receivers who legitimately need to get the ball for this team to be successful. You bring in AB, the pie is going to shift. Ronald Jones also having a pretty great year down there in Tampa Bay. So I just think he's not going to help any team at this point get better. I think he'll just be sort of an average addition and he won't really move the needle either way. Yeah. In, in Tampa Bay too, they've got OJ Howard and, and Gronk and, and Cameron Bray too as their tight ends. That's even less bites at the apple. Um, just looking at the two teams though, in terms of acquiring free agents right now, Tampa Bay and Seattle, because I would put Tampa Bay up there with Seattle and Green Bay as the class of the NFC right now. I think those are the three mm-hmm. teams that have the best shot at winning the conference this season, at least through the first five, six weeks here. But you look at, at what Tom Brady is to Tampa Bay and what Russell Wilson is to Seattle. Of the two quarterbacks, if you were an NFL free agent and, and you were getting courted by both teams – which one of those quarterbacks do you think right now is the more sure bet to deliver a title? Is it Tom Brady or is it Russell Wilson? I think it's Russell. Look, I'm not going to bet against Tom Brady. Let's make this specifically <laughs> yeah. clear. I'm not betting against that team in the playoffs. If they get there, I'll be terrified no matter what they look like. Tom has 
it, right? We all know that. But it's Russell right now, man. He's playing like an MVP. He is the front runner for MVP. He has that connection with his receivers, the trust, and all the offense, really. He, he trusts those playmakers to go out there and, and get it done for him. And, and Pete empowers him that way, right? And John empowers Pete. It's all the way down from the top. You, you hit it right on the head there, Curtis, that the organization empowers down, and you have that solid presence at head coach that truly is great. And I'm sure there's only a handful of teams that could get an AB and even potentially turn it into a positive. Seattle has to be on that short list. But again, I just don't think it was worth it for them to, to pursue any further than finding out how legit he was at coming back. And I'm thankful that this is probably the last time we're going to talk about this guy on Seattle yeah, Sports Saturday, at least until <laughs> we have to play him in the playoffs. So I'm hoping or until he gets cut again. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm thankful that Seattle if they decided to pull back or AB decided to go more for Tampa Bay, I'm very thankful for that because also let's try and go after some of those defensive depth pieces we can get right now and truly build a solid defense that can support Russell in the way he plays. Cause that's all they need right now. If they're mid level D they're good to go. Well, yeah. And, and we've seen over the last couple of days and we'll talk about this when we get to NFL headlines later in the 11 o'clock hour, but there have been two pass rushers over the last couple of days that have been on the move. You've got Unique Ngakwe going from Minnesota to Baltimore. And then yesterday the Cardinals picked up Marcus Golden from the Giants. I mean, that's two less names that the Seahawks can go after in any sort of trade scenario to improve this pass rush, which I, I 1,000% agree with you is the biggest need on this team right now because – or just not even just pass rush, but just defensive line help. Even if it's in the run game, if it's uh, just anybody right now on on that side of the ball, I think that is far and away the more obvious need here. I think Antonio Brown would have been. Uh, we we used we used to make this comparison. What was it? He'd be like uh, Netflix or something like that. It's not a necessary purchase. It's an it's a nice luxury to have when you have it, but you can get by without it more very easily. Uh, I mean, maybe when we were back in in stay at home order, it would have been a lot difficult to get. It would have been a lot more difficult to get by without Netflix. And right, and you're right, Curtis. Maybe a few months ago, before we knew DK was going to really take that next yeah. step forward, and that Tyler was going to stay that same steady presence, and that they do have Dorsett coming soon, and they do have David Moore, and Freddie Swain has been a great addition on special teams and making plays there, and what can he maybe provide for some wide receiver depth? Depth, pardon me, and. Yeah, maybe a few months ago, this it looks like it needs it's a necessity because of where we are and where we're staying. But now we know where we're at. We don't need them. We don't. Don't need them. Can't win with them. Bye. As Mike Singletary would say. Coming up uh, in the 11 o'clock hour, we'll get you a big three from a national perspective. World Series going on. College football. More conferences playing today. Lots of good stuff coming your way. But up next... It just gets so weird. Let's get weird. Arizona, Seattle, what is it about this rivalry that produces some of the weirdest outcomes we can ever remember? That's next. Keep it locked here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Shout out to you for joining us here on this Seattle Sports Saturday. Plenty of stuff coming your way here on 710 ESPN Seattle all day long. 
you don't want to go anywhere else because we've still got more than half of our broadcast day still left in, in this one. So a lot of good, a lot of good coming your way. Uh, coming up in the next hour, we'll take a look around the NFL, get you some big headlines heading into week seven, including some massive trades this week. Uh, and also a couple of former Husky receivers saying they want out of their current situation. So we'll get into that coming up in about a half hour from now. But right now, Taylor, there are some unexplainable things out there. The Bermuda Triangle, uh, to be mm-hmm. one. Uh, how do how do uh, crop circles get made? We don't know. Why is it that State Farm Stadium produces the weirdest results in this rivalry, or just the weirdest moments in, in games between the Seahawks and Cardinals? Look, if I had an answer, I think I'd be making my own Netflix series. I'd be greenlit. I'd get multiple seasons. It would be Unsolved, Unsolved Mysteries. Mysteries, the the Seahawk version, right? And I know the North End Zone carries a little bit of that juju, that magic, mm-hmm. whatever you call it, the 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 curse maybe for, for those opposing teams. But, yeah, you, you run down all of the, the list of all of the, the weird, wacky, unusual things that have happened there in Arizona, mostly between these two teams and sometimes not. But to me, this is the weirdest. I hate this place. I don't want anything oh, to do yeah. with it. it. Get me away from that Arizona stadium. And what's crazy about Seahawks fans and their feelings towards the stadium. And I think a lot of them echo what you're saying is that like, I don't want anything to do with this building. The Seahawks outside of Super Bowl 49 have not lost in this building since 2012. They are no. undefeated since 2012. And because of that, for whatever reason, you know, it's that's another layer on top of the craziness of playing the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. And you you mentioned that Curtis and it's still so mind-boggling right it feels like this team has lost a couple and yes they've lost some here to the Cardinals in Seattle but there's just something about it and I know you'll go through the list here but just looking down this list it gets weirder and weirder as you go through it and even though yes they've won all these games they've lost some things and they've lost some players and some groups in the process yeah, they have. Uh, maybe the most significant position group in franchise history. That'd be the entirety of the Legion of Boom. Uh, Richard Sherman played his final game as a Seahawk in this stadium uh, where he blew out his Achilles. Cam Chancellor played his final game in this stadium where he suffered that neck injury that ended his NFL career. Earl Thomas played his final game as a Seahawk in State Farm Stadium uh, when he broke his leg and and had a a little going-away message for Pete Carroll and John Schneider. uh, It's just the most bizarre happenstances are in this stadium. The 6-6 tie a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. You rarely see a game in the NFL without a touchdown, let alone in a domed stadium and between, at that point in 2016, two pretty good teams uh, between the Cardinals and the Seahawks. And it's just so mind-boggling that everything happens in this stadium, uh, you know. And then Super Bowl Forty-Nine, the Band-Aid yeah. that uh, you know still has never uh, fully healed for Seahawks fans. It never will, and to no. expect that to happen is is insanity. But uh, it, it just the list continues, and I I really hope that the list stops at that point on Sunday because. 
I don't know if I can take it, Taylor, because there have been a lot of games this season where got to check the blood pressure heading into the fourth quarter. I, I can't take much more. No, and to me, the of all of these things, minus, you know, you had one of the beast quakes happen there, which was great, but to me... I can't I don't give me the tie out of all of these things. Don't no injuries. I'd rather just get a tie in this game. That's fine for the division, right? If you have that tie. Uh it's not a loss, but it, it just may feel like a loss cuz we're undefeated, but I I cannot see another injury to a key player in that stadium. It's going to hurt. And you had Will Disley in 2018 too, you know, he was showing so much promise and he still has a lot of promise, right? So it's uh it'll be interesting to see what happens primetime Sunday night football. I believe the 6-6 tie was also a primetime Thursday night football game if I'm not mistaken. I think it was a Sunday nighter, but it was, was still primetime. Yeah. Right. And it, it was a I knew it was primetime. It was just things you know, it's Bermuda Triangle I think is the perfect analogy, right? We can't some people can't just explain things with science or reason or rationale. And this How did is we get one here? of those things. How did we get here? How do we get out of here? Okay. You know <laughs> what I mean? How do we escape this place? And I think that's such a big, it's such a big worry for me. I think the Seahawks are a better team. I think they'll play better on Sunday. I do think they'll win this game, but I'm terrified. And I'm, I don't know why, but I'm terrified. Yeah, when you look at the, the tail of the tape, and we'll get into this a little bit in the 11 o'clock hour, just how these teams stack up, which, which are the best matchups. But when you look at what they did last Monday, Taylor, do, was there anything that you saw from their just total destruction of the Dallas Cowboys franchise? Uh, was there anything you saw that is going to be a, a big concern of yours heading into tomorrow? I mean, one, I mean, Buda Baker's playing great, right? I think yeah. there's no doubt about that. Um, I think I'm just worried about the defense, right? In a general standpoint of, you know, Kyler Murray's a playmaker. You have uh, DeAndre Hopkins. If he's there, he's a massive playmaker. Christian Kirk is having a great season. So I just, this is not a team to overlook. They're a divisional rival. They know you, you know what I mean? You always seem to have a tough matchup with your divisional rivals, Cliff Kingsbury, I don't trust him. He's shifty. He's like a B, right? You know what I mean? I know he's good. He's good for the league. We need him around. I don't trust him. He's shifty. He's weird. He's got a house in Arizona with a fire. Yeah, exactly. Anybody's house that is as clean as his, you can't trust him. It's like, where where do you kick your shoes off? You mean to tell me right. that you walk around on marble floors with your bare feet all day long? That can't be comfortable. Like, that's... Come on, Cliff Kingsbury. Show show some humanity here. Be a real person. And he has multiple multiple cabanas. Like, just go to a pool. You <laughs> you probably own a pool any a different pool anyways. Like, go be social somewhere else with a bunch of cabanas. Oh man, Cliff Kingsbury, what are you doing, man? I, I mean, I think this game kind of represents a potential jumping off point for the Cardinals. If they do beat the Seahawks where they can point to and be like, this is where we became what we knew this team could become. And I think for the Seahawks, it is of the utmost importance to keep little brother uh, down to keep the, the Cardinals back because you cannot give them confidence because let's look at it like this. 
if the Cardinals win tomorrow, there's only a half game separating the two teams. If the Seahawks win, all of a sudden now you're six and zero with the Cardinals at four and three. You've got a two and a half game lead on them, uh, and I mean, all of a sudden your schedule becomes tougher uh, heading into the next couple of weeks. This is the start of the toughest part of the Seahawks schedule. If they can get off to a good start in this portion of the schedule, I think we're looking at it at least a 12-win ball club the rest of the way. Uh, to me, I think this Seahawks team knows what's at stake tomorrow, and I think they're going to handle it. Uh, you know, I don't think they're going to get blown out by any stretch of the imagination. If if they're going to win, I think uh, you know it'll either. I think it it'll be a close game, but in a close game, who you're not going to bet against Russell Wilson. No, no way. And you, you just know you have that confidence, right? If there's time left on the clock, Russell Wilson's got a shot. He's probably going to get it. So to me, get out of there healthy, get the win, but, but not by all, any means possible. You still do have that half game lead. Worst case scenario, you, you do lose. Who knows what else happens with the Niners and the Rams and their games this weekend too. So you may be able to get a little bit of separation there as well, but just stay healthy, get that W, get on the plane and get out of there as quick as yeah. possible. Get home, get home to the safe <laughs> confines of Seattle, get out of Arizona. No disrespect, bear down. We love our wild Bear down every day. There it is. But I, we got to get, get out of that, get out of that state yeah. quick. I don't, I don't blame anyone for feeling that way about the Seahawks tomorrow. Uh, in the next hour, like you said, we've got some NFL headlines to get to. Uh, this week it was a busy week around the National Football League with some trades as we're just, what, two weeks away from the trade deadline. Will the Seahawks get involved? Who knows? And then we will take a look at some of the biggest matchups heading into tomorrow night as the Seahawks take on the Cardinals in Sunday Night Football. But before we do all that, we got to get you the 11 o'clock's Big Three. That's coming up here on Seattle Sports Saturday.